This is Mitchell Belgian and Shelley Minalacino for the Deciding Mind, and we're here at the Society for Neuroscience's annual meeting, 2011, and we are about to interview Dr. Norbert Raymond Mislinski, who just explained the uh, derivation of his name. Do you want to tell us? Sure. If you're Polish, you pronounce it Mislinski, and it comes from the Polish word Mishli, which means to think or thinker. And uh, my first name is Norbert, which is Teutonic, and that means brightness. So we have one bright thought here. (laughs) (laughs) He was telling us about the International Brain Bee. Absolutely, yes. So we thought we would tell our audience, what what is this Brain Bee It's a great program, and it is a neuroscience competition for high school students. And uh, its purpose is to motivate young men and women to learn about the brain to open up a book and read about the human brain and to inspire them to consider careers in the neurosciences, in neurology, in psychology, and to help treat people with the more than 1,000 neurological and psychological disorders that are out there and help to find cures for them for the future because, you know, we're in a state of war. We're in a battle right now, not of guns and bullets, but of test tubes and microscopes trying to fight all these different neurological disorders and find cures for them. And so this is focused on the future. It focuses on maintaining a supply of young men and women to help fight this this war. Matter of fact, our new motto is building better brains to fight brain disorders. And when did this start? When did you start? It started in my basement (laughs) back in 1998. And it was local uh, in Maryland, and then it uh, became uh, national through the North American continent. And then it expanded to uh, other countries and other continents. And now uh, there are approximately 150 chapters in 30 countries in six continents. And what is your relationship with the Society for Neuroscience? Is there any direct link or...? (laughs) <laughs> you, you inform one another? Um, they, like many other, other organizations, you know, they support the Brain Bee. Uh, they provide a fellowship, so to speak, for the winner, the international winner. And the fellowship is uh, for a researcher who will take the champion, high school champion, under his or her wing. And uh, that champion can work for the whole summer in the laboratory of that famous neuroscientist. And that's sort of one of the prizes for the international championship is, is a summer-long experience in a neuroscience lab. So Neuroscience Society provides that. So you started this on your own in order to get children excited about studying neuroscience? Right, because I have a passion for it, and I just wanted to spread it. Uh-huh. And, and do you teach neuroscience as well? Yes, yes, I do. I'm at the University of Maryland uh-huh. in Baltimore, and uh, I'm primarily in the Department of Neural and Pain Sciences, and I teach there, and I also teach in the nursing school, and I teach in some other small universities, and uh, I just, you know, I like to teach. So, so when you began doing this searching out for high school students to get uh, to inspire them, how, how did that? How did you decide initially that this needed to happen, and you were the one to do this? Well, it's very interesting because way back in the 1980s, starting with the 1990s, well, actually it goes back farther than that. 1969, uh, the Society for Neuroscience was formed, and before that, neuroscience was not very much of an organized discipline. Certainly not. No. Right. So uh, after that time, I went to about the third meeting 
you know, way mm. back then. So I figured I was about 40, 40 years I've been going to these meetings. Um, and, and the first program was very small. It was very small and only had less than 100 abstracts and that kind of thing. But now it's up to like it's going to be about 35,000 attendees uh, in, in this, this year. However, so that started, you know, a trend going through the 80s. And then as we reached the 90s, neuroscientists, including the Society of Neuroscience, wanted to approach the government to try to increase funding. So one, one of their ideas was to have a dedicated decade for the brain. I remember that, actually. Yeah, uh-huh. so, so they, they uh, petitioned the Congress to uh, dedicate in the 1990s as a decade of the brain, and that went through with President Bush, the first President Bush. And as a result, we did have like a doubling of the NIH funding over that time period. So it was very successful then. In the middle of brain, uh, the decade of the brain, the Dana Alliance, Dana Alliance of Brain Initiatives, they came up with the idea of a Brain Awareness Week. And uh, I became the director of Brain Awareness Week in Maryland. And uh, I was trying to figure out what activities to do. And for many years before that, I'd have a summer program for high school students in our our campus, our university, where I'd bring these high school students on campus full-time for eight weeks, you know, I give them training and so forth, and and in part of that it was a competition uh, in neuroscience. So I said, oh, I'll just put one in here during Brain Awareness Week, you know. And it was so successful locally that the next year I was able to get twelve cities throughout the country to have local brain bees. So and, what does it what does a brain bee look like? Ah, very interesting. On the basic levels, it's mainly question and answer. Students go up to the podium, you have judges up there, you got a timer, you got a scorekeeper, you know, you have the press with the cameras, <laughs> you have all these scared kids. But each kid gets asked the same question? <clears throat> it varies. I give a lot of freedom to my coordinators. And, and every local brain bee, within certain limits and restrictions and rules, you know, operates a little bit differently. But there is a uni- uniformed idea. In other, in other words, when you ask a high school student, why don't you compete in a competition about the human brain? They'll say, oh, wait a minute. You know, I can't do that. That's too much to know. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Too much to know. It's too complicated. I we, would answer that. We, we, <laughs> we, we don't cover neuroscience in high schools. Right. Right? But it, this would be answered how by you? Oh, I'm, I'm quite old. <laughs> he would say he'd be overwhelmed. He would be overwhelmed. Oh, you saying? would say that. Okay. Yes, All right. be overwhelmed. So, but if you show them this book. You know, we have a book. It's called Brain Facts, put out by the Society of Neuroscience. It's a great, oh, a great yeah, book. Know. Both know you know, and, and you show it to them, and you say, all the questions come from this book. Oh, so that's and you, very And they smart. look at it, and they say, hey, this is interesting. I can do this. Huh. You know, and that's the main idea, to get them to open up the book, uh-huh. you know, be interested and read it. And so what I do, I make it easy for my coordinators. I've created this bank of questions, you know, and I, I change it every year, and uh, that I send... Um, questions and answers, about 600, 700 of them that I send to all the coordinators confidentially. So they don't have to worry about making questions and answers. Uh-huh. You know, it's very easy. They just have to reserve a room. Uh, they have to determine when it's going to be, send a flyer to some of the schools, you know, get a judge, you know, order some pizzas, make certificates, and, and invite the media over. <laughs> so it, it always occurs during Brain Awareness Week? No, no, no. no. It can any time during the year. The normal sequence is that usually the locals are in January, February. The USA National, different countries are different, but USA National is during Brain Awareness Week in March, and the international competition then is that summer. So a person can go from the local January to the national in March and then the international 
in the summer. Now, you talked about what, what does it uh, look like. Well, like I said, on, on the basic level, on the grassroots level, it's mainly questions and answers. You know, they're up at the podium. You know, or sometimes they give them tablets and ask everybody the same question. And they write, out, write down the answers and so forth. You get to higher levels, it gets a little more interesting, a little complicated. Uh, for instance, at the national level, USA National, we have five different parts. One part is a neuroanatomy practical, just like the medical students take. Oh. I have 30 human brains in a lab, and they're all around it. Like this last summer or last Brain Awareness Week, I had 41 local champions at the USA Nationals. So they were all around this table, and at each station there was a brain with a pin in it. And they had a piece of paper. They had to identify, you know, what that part of the brain was. And for some of them, had they only studied in a book? It was different ones studied different right. ways, you uh-huh. know. Uh, some coordinators have brain, brain be preparation classes, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> some have special tutoring, some don't. You know, it's very different from... Mm-hmm. From uh, place to place, uh, brain bee, local brain bee to local brain bee. But we have that neuroanatomy practical. And, uh, you know, some of the people there at the medical school say these students do better than their medical students. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. In that. Then we have another part is patient diagnosis. Wow. And we have, I have patient actors mm-hmm. who are actually graduate level nursing students. And they pretend they have certain disorders. <laughs> so I, I have 12 of them. Again, it's a rotation. They spend five minutes with each patient. Uh-huh. Now, this isn't just out of the... They have a list of syndromes and disorders to choose from. It's not just open-ended. So they have a list that they can match up with the, the patients. And it's it's a lot of fun because they're there and they listen... Each, each station, they listen to about a two-minute story by the mm-hmm. patient. Uh, the patient then... so so And the, the student, who is the doctor at this mm-hmm. time... Uh, has to diagnose what that person has by doing a certain number of things. One is listening to the story. Number two, observing that patient to see if there's mm-hmm. any movements or anything, uh, emotional problems. Number three, the student can, the doctor student can ask the patient actor uh, uh, three questions, you know, that just yes or no answers for that. Uh, only three questions? Only three questions, that's all. Wow. Three differential questions. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, within certain limits. So they watch the patient and can ask only yeah. three questions. Now, remember, the per- they're getting answers from a patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so they can say, do you have Alzheimer's disease? <laughs> 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 I don't know. That's why I'm here, doc. <laughs> you know, so, um, and, and the fourth thing is, after all that, the student can request two clinical or laboratory tests based on what they've gotten so far. And I have a list of about 15 different like blood tests and EEGs and EMGs and, 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 and MRI scans. scans and that kind of thing. And so they can, they can check it out. For instance, you know, if you have a patient there who says, oh, you know, I, I've woken up on the bathroom floor a couple times not knowing how I got there and so forth, you know, students may think, well, maybe it was a seizure. Maybe they had epilepsy, you know. So maybe I'll, I'll ask for an EEG and I'll ask for an MRI of the brain. Okay. So um, then the, it, it, the results come back instantaneously, uh-huh. you know, and the results were that there is an abscess in the right temporal lobe, and the EEG shows abnormal uh, EEG activity in the right temporal lobe. So this sort of substantiates his, his diagnosis that is epilepsy, and he looks in it. Epilepsy is one of the things. So he may use that as the diagnosis for the patient, and the buzzer rings, and he goes on to the next patient. Wow. So, so that's the second part. And then the third is part. Is the audience watching? No. No. So well, this well, is. Different. At this part, 
it's done. They, they can, but it's kind of boring. Uh -huh. You know, usually they're an audience for the actual question and answer portion because okay. that's more dramatic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 to see the students directly. And then there's one neurohistology where I have microscopes set up. And they go from microscope to microscope, looking in there, trying wow. to differentiate like a, an astrocyte from a Purkinje cell or, you know, different parts of the brain you know, on a microscopic level. And then a fourth part is MRI images. I have 40 MRI images that I project. And on each image is an arrow pointing to a part of it. And they have to identify what part of the brain that arrow so to. most of these kids didn't learn this in school, is no. that right? No. no. This is sort self of... Self-taught. Yeah. Self-taught. This, uh -huh, this becomes a club, or a, it's a self... Yeah, it's not even a club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is there any support in the schools for this in terms of actually um, auxiliary, ancillary uh, education? Or they, they know about this be and that they want their student, some students to apply and win and someone helps to tutor... It's very interesting, but most of the support is outside the schools. Mm -hmm. I mean, the teachers are very uh, mm -hmm. burdened with right. the things that they have to do. This is basically home. It's like a so, music. Somebody so, needs to learn their instrument. Right, gets right. Lessons they somewhere might else. seek out a tutor or seek out a mentor to help them. Well, like I said, it's quite a variety of, of things. Uh, there are science clubs, biology clubs, right. and in some cases, neuroscience clubs. That sort some of, kids have neuroscientist fathers. That's or true. That's true. Unfair, <laughs> unfair advantage. You know, um, our radio show, we combine different um, disciplines to come up with our radio show, which is The Deciding Mind. And what strikes me about the Society for Neuroscience is the implications in other disciplines and the interdisciplinary nature of what goes on here. So, um, you know, for most of us listening to uh, the glial cell and the basal ganglia, blah, 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 we're, we're lost completely. But then the implications become very obvious when somebody translates that to the general audience. So it reaches out from the science into the social structure that we interact with daily. So do you uh, purport this kind of information to the students? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, there is an auxiliary uh, purpose of this. It's just making individuals, the parents, the teachers, other students, aware of neuroscience and how it's applicable to their daily lives. You know, it's not just for getting students into careers, uh -huh. you know, in the future, because neuroscience can be applicable almost anywhere. You know, well, yesterday we had a big session on neuroeconomics. <laughs> well, we, we wrote, that's Mitch's interest, yeah, actually. Yeah, okay. So to answer your question, for example, uh, let's see if you can, you, you can answer this. One of the questions that, uh -oh. uh, that I have <laughs> is, Turn the table. what is the <clears throat> leading cause of preventable mental retardation in the United States? The leading cause of preventable mental retardation in the United States. I mean, States. What, is the, what is the one thing people could do to prevent mental No, there's retardation? a disease. There's a there's disorder. A disease. Oh, there's a you disorder. Know, that causes mental retardation. What, what is this disorder? Hmm. Herpes, I bet. No. Fetal oh. alcohol. Aha! Yeah. Ah. Give, mm -hmm. give the lady a cupid. Well, she's a doctor. <laughs> Fetal <laughs> alcohol syndrome, right. you know, is the leading cause, and it's totally... That going to be my second your guess. Your second guess, right? Did <laughs> <laughs> <It's, laughs> You didn't give me multiple choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, your partners are jumped in there. But anyways, She's always jumping in but, there. But, the, but the shame of that is it's totally preventable. Uh -huh. You know, uh, if you don't... don't but wait a second. Before we make everybody feel guilty, what percentage of mental retardation is due to fetal alcohol? I don't know. You put me oh. on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> if it's only 1%, then you're making it the other 99% feel very guilty. <laughs> I don't have the percentages at the top of my fingers. I'm sorry. 
I'm one so. for, for um, countering the uh, supremacy of numbers. I think numbers can be. But speaking of numbers, I, I imagine you've seen the whole the interest in neuroscience really grow. And that is it easier to find ki- high school kids? They've, have they heard about it more than 10 years ago? I mean, well, this, well this, this is like a juggernaut. I initially had to beat the bushes, but now people are coming to me from all I over see, the place. I see, so it's true. You know, okay. You know, that they want to be involved, especially, you know, graduate students and uh, individuals who want to start brain bees all uh-huh. over the place. We know this is the first science discipline where it's actually being applicable to people and themselves. You can, it's not just this boring biology with that frog, it's this biology with your own brain suddenly it becomes relevant. If more of high school is relevant to students, I mm. think they would feel like they would participate more. So yeah, I, well, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's our job and the teacher's job to uh, make these things relevant because one of the things we learned in learning is that, you know, students pay attention more and they, they perform better if they are convinced that the material is relevant. Mm-hmm. Relevant to their lives and relevant to their careers and, and so forth. You know, make it interesting, make it relevant, uh, engage the students, let them take control of certain situations. You know, all these help in, in maintaining the memories and, and, and uh, getting their attention. So, what, which number B are you up to? Is this the 10th B, the 11th B? Uh, this is the 13th B. 13th B. And how many total uh, applicants began the process, let's say, in the United States? What's been the evolution of participation? Well, you know, I don't have, know exactly the numbers all around the world. Uh, I thought you had a PhD. You just put <laughs> me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you look at uh, the grassroots competition, yes. You know, I was talking to Linda Richards, and she is the co-chair of the IBB committee, uh, and she said that there are about oh, eight thousand students. Now? Uh, in Australia. In Australia. Yeah, just in Australia. Just in Australia. Just in Australia. Wow. What about the United States? The United States, it's approximately that much. Um, oh, that's insulting. Why? Oh, we have a vastly larger population than Australia. We would think it would. But be you haven't met Linda Richards. <laughs> <laughs> she has surpassed me in her websites. I see. You know, I was thinking. I was wondering how you use the web. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. and what she does is 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 um, says more than she adds another level in there, and the level is a a nationwide. Uh, uh, internet a test uh-huh. to screen to screen people you know and then the, the the winners of that go to the different states and compete there and then the states then go to the national so so she has uh, uh, ways and means of touching many more people you know India India has about the same and they've been on board ever since almost the beginning too it strikes me that scholarships could be perhaps made available if we had money. <laughs> well, I mean more from the neuro, from anybody from the out there would like to donate. <laughs> but even from the university neuroscience departments, that what what you okay? What what's nice undergrad? What's nice about this is that it's a grassroots effort, uh-huh. and it is up to the local coordinators to provide uh, the funds and the support and the links and the links and and this can be a very inexpensive thing depending right. upon what you want to do with it. Um, or it could be more elaborate, you know, and, and require a lot more money, you know. Uh, probably the main expense is if you choose to send your winner to the next level, it's the travel funds I see. mainly. Uh-huh. And they have to go with the chaperone, so the travel mm-hmm. funds for two. So that's probably the main expense. Otherwise, you know, you order a pizza, you know, and you have prizes, certificates, 
you may want to have local prizes, maybe fifty dollars, hundred hundred fifty dollars. Pizza is conducive to brain activity. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps we'll look forward yeah. to uh, so, covering yeah. one of the local. Yeah, that would be great. International okay. brain bees. Yeah, but there are there are certain organizations that have helped out over the years, like the International Brain Research Organization. The the Society for Neuroscience also helps. I didn't mention this, but through their chapters. Right. Uh, Many of the local brain bees are supported by money that the chapters have uh, through chapter grants. Uh You know, so the chapters uh, request money to get a chapter grant, and and some of that is earmarked for a brain bee, like prize money for the brain bee and so forth. You know, other brain bees are supported by museums, uh, many by universities. Science museums. Science museums, Uh universities. Industry, you know, drug companies. Mm-hmm. So any organization can really sponsor one. Oh. Yeah. Well, okay. thank you very much. Well, well uh, you're well, welcome. This went by so fast. Well, well, actually, it was a fair amount of time. It seemed that. <laughs> That's how the brain interprets a good time. <laughs> well, you know, the biological clock in the brain is a chiasmatic nucleus, the super chiasmatic nucleus. Oh, boy. You just <laughs> lost that. Super chiasmatic right, nucleus. We're going to leave it with the brain. Bait. In, in <laughs> the hypothalamus is the uh, biological clock. That's your first clue for the brain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. This was fun. Okay.